Well, good morning, good morning. So good to see you here today. If you are a guest, welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. And it's a good time for you to be here because we're going through this series on the church and its mission, what God has called us as West Cabarrus Church to do and to be. And so if you missed that on, this, on the video right there, it is to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And as we faithfully do that as a church, we're going to continue to see God bless and grow this church by his goodness and his grace. And we've seen that over the last couple of weeks that this room has been packed, it's been full. And so it looks like in, uh, starting on Easter, so on April 4th, we'll have two services. We'll have our 9 o'clock and then our 1030. And we'll just continue to grow. And we're excited to even introduce uh, the week before that. Um, I remember our 30th anniversary Sunday, we have 18 people or families, individuals, that are joining our church. And so we're super excited that God is continuing to grow and, and, and adding partners to the mission for which Christ has called us to, to glorify him by making more and better disciples. Yeah, thank you guys. All right, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 25 today. Um, so go ahead and make your way there, Matthew 25. And we've been going through this series on our mission as a church and we talked about the the first few weeks, if you weren't here at the turn of the year, really encourage you to go back on iTunes. You can listen to those messages because it's the heartbeat of what we're all about. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. And then from there, we went to talk about prayer, that we can't just say, God, this is what you've called us to do. Now we want to do it apart from you. We can't. We need his strength, his power, and his might. And so we've been challenging us as a church to pray those three Ps, God's protection over us as a church, God's provision for us as a church, and then that God would propel us forward on mission for Jesus. And so we've been praying those things, and then out of that, we talked about generosity. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about generosity, and today we're going to do the same, because our vision is only going to go as far as our prayer lives lead us and our generosity takes us. And so we have to be prayerful people and generous people for the glory of the Lord. So if you are new here, we read the Bible, we just open it up and walk through it, I'm not creative enough to come up with my own ideas, and so we're just going to look at God's plan for us and his words to us, and context is key for this. Uh, with a series like this, this is a little more topical. Understanding the context is, is crucial for us to understand exactly what God's word is saying to us. So leading up to Matthew 25, what's happened is the disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 24, and they said, hey, Jesus... What's the end uh, of the world look like? What is the end of time? How's it all going to wrap up? What does it look like, Jesus? And Jesus starts to tell them all these different things. He says, hey, you know what? There's going to be wars and there's going to be famine. Um, there's going to be this, um, there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be this thing called the abomination of desolation. Uh, there's going to be people who come on the scene and they say that, hey, we're actually Jesus and disciples, you need to be able to look at them and say, you sit on a throne of lies. You're not the real Jesus. And, and then he says, there's actually going to be where I am the light of the world. You're not going to need the sun anymore. And the disciples are, are looking at them like maybe you are today. We're just kind of glazed over and you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Like, Jesus, help us understand that. And so in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus helps them understand what it looks like. And he tells them three stories or parables and, and to help them understand what it looks like at the end of time. And every one of them hits on something really important for us to grasp and know and understand. And the first one he shares is about these, these ten virgins. And 
The name of that is probably not what you're thinking it's about. Ultimately, it's about that the bridegroom is coming, and it looks like 10 people are ready for the bridegroom to come. They're ready for the party, and only five of them was really ready. And Jesus gives this parable to say, hey, make sure your salvation is secure in me. Or when I come again, when I come back in the clouds, you won't be ready unless your salvation is secure in me. And then he does another story, another parable of this talents. And he comes to these three men in this story. It's a parable. And he says, hey, I'm going to give each of you these talents. One I'll give five, one I'll give two, one I'll give one. And we think of talent, we hear that word and we're like, oh, it's a special ability uh, or gift that we have. And that's not necessarily what that word means at that time. A talent was actually an amount of money. So about 20 years daily labor, labor, about 20 years labor. And so he's given them all of this money, and he's saying, hey, this is my money, but I want you to invest it wisely. And then the master comes back again, and two of them are ready, and one of them is not ready. And so Jesus tells his first story, and he's like, hey, make sure your salvation is secure in me as I come again. And then make sure that you're being a good steward of what I've entrusted in you as you are saved. And then the last story he tells is about sheep and goats. And it's interesting because what he does is he separates them. And you find out that some people thought their works are what defined them, and it wasn't the truth. Some people instead had their identity founded in the Lord, and it shaped what they did. So Jesus looks at these two different people in this story, and he says, hey, some of you thought you were ready and you really weren't. Some of you were trying to live by your works and not in your salvation or not being a good steward, and so you were cast off. With every one of these stories, what Jesus is highlighting is be ready. Do not waste your life. Don't waste your life. Use it wisely. Be intentional. Know what God has given you and know who he is and live for him. So with that context, we're going to dive into the, the second of these two parables, the parable of the talents, and we'll unpack that starting in verse 14. Look at God's word with me. It says, for it, that's the, the second coming, the, the coming of the kingdom, it's going to be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one to each according to his ability. And then he went away. And he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more. So also he who had two talents made two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing his five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two more. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He who had received one talent came forward and said, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Then I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. The master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew? You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast out this worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place where there is weeping and there is gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would give us understanding to your words today. Lord, none of us want to waste our lives. We don't. We want to be ready when you come again that you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, give us wisdom to see our lives and our possessions as you see them. Lord, give us the courage to trust and to follow you today and this week and for the rest of our lives. Lord, help us to know what you desire for us to do, and then we ask that you would give us the courage and boldness to do it. We confess we cannot do it apart from you. And take a moment now to pray and ask that God would give you wisdom and understanding that you wouldn't waste your life. Pray that silently right now to him. And then pray for me that as I open up this parable, this story that Jesus shared, that I would be able to just communicate his beautiful truth in a beautiful way today. Lord, we need you, and we pray that you would challenge us, you convict us, you would Give us strength and comfort today. We need you, Lord. And it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. So the last couple of weeks uh, with generosity, we looked at the foundation of generosity, which was Christ a couple weeks ago. Remember that though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. And so Jesus is the foundation of all of our generosity. We are generous because he was generous to us. And then last week we looked at we have to have the right perspective on our world and our hearts if we're going to be generous. We're not going to be generous unless we realize the way the world is set up and the way God has blessed us with the wealth that he's blessed us with. And at the same time, unless we realize our heart's aversion to being obedient to Christ, then we're not going to. And so we have to check our hearts. We have to look to Christ. And today I want us to see that God again is our foundation. And he speaks to our heart and leads us forward. And one of the ways that we're going to be generous, one of the ways we have to understand how to be generous is to realize first and foremost that God has generously given us everything that we have. Everything that we have 
God has generously given it to us. Did you see that, how this story starts, this parable that Jesus gives to help them understand what the end times are going to look like? Look back in verse 14. He said, it's going to be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts to them his property. It's all his. And as Jesus is telling the story, he wants people to realize it's all God's. God has given us everything that we have, all of our abilities and all of our strength. It comes from him. Our time, our talents, our treasures, everything comes from him. It is graciously given to you and to me to steward it well. And so when he starts right here, he's basically echoing what Jesus has said in other places in Scripture. And when you turn the pages of the Old Testament, you see over and over again that God is saying that all of it is his. But when sin entered into the world, confusion hit us. And so we're sitting here wondering, man, is this really his stuff or is it my stuff? No, 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 I should be in charge. I should be doing these things. I should be able to say what I should do and not do. We want to be our own gods. But God's word has been clear all over it. In the book of Job, Job chapter 41, God says, Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Under the skies. He's saying all of it is mine. Everything. You need to understand, Job, yes, it's blessed that he gives and he takes away. But, Job, you need to remember that it's all mine. And if that's not clear enough, he says in in Haggai chapter 2, he says all the silver and all the gold, that's mine. All of it. Every penny in your bank account is God's that he's given to you. In Psalm chapter 50, it says every animal in the forest is mine. Everything that moves in the field is mine. The world in all of its fullness, it's mine. God is continuing to say it over and over again. I am the creator, and so I have creator rights. All of this is mine. All of it. And we need to have this proper perspective if we're going to be generous people. If we're really going to say, okay, if it's yours, how do you want me to spend it? We have to understand that it's all his. It's all his. And if we think about it logically, we know that at best what we have is on loan from him. We know that if you really think about it for a minute. And there's going to come a day where we will all die. The death rate is still at 100%, okay? It's it's always been that way, right? And so there's going to come a day where no matter what you gathered up, no matter what money you have is going to be given to somebody else. It's just, it's going to happen, I mean, in reality, what's going to happen is you're, you're going to die one day and your, your kids or, or friends are going to come and look at your stuff and they're going to make fun of you a little bit over it, right? Like, look at these mom jeans. Like, remember when she wore these jeans? These, remember when chunky sweaters were popular, you know? Like we, and you still have them in your closet. They're outdated now by like 20 years and you still have them. And then they're going to go and they're going to put it in a garage sale and they're going to sell it all. Or if you're really wealthy, an estate sale, Right? But regardless, it's going to be gone. You can't take it with you. At best, whatever we have is on loan from God. Everything. And we have to see that and know that. Everything comes from Him. And our world today has different views of what we should be doing with our money, right? Capitalism says this. Hey, you work hard for your money, and so it's yours. You do what you want to with it. And socialism says, hey, no, 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 you work hard for your money, but it's not yours. It's the people's, and so do what's best for the community with your money. 
But Christianity says something incredibly different. Christianity says it's God's money. Do what's best for him and his glory. How would he desire for you to spend it for his glory? How would he want you to use not just your money, but your time and your abilities that God has given you? And I know this rubs against the grain of our hearts because we're like, wait a second, Ryan. I thought this was all mine. Like, I worked hard, Ryan. You're saying it's all God's? What am I supposed to do with that? We have to understand that, man, even right now, the place of being born here in America, that's a blessing given by God. I mean, people who deliver newspapers make more than 70% of the people in the world. God placed you here. You didn't get to choose that, at least for most of us. Some of us we did. Some of us we moved to America. But a lot of us, God chose for us to be born here and blessed us with that. The intellect that we have, the, the, the strength that we have to be able to, to work, the health we have to be able to do the jobs that we have been given, God has given us all of that. He's the one that gave us the intellect, the strength, the, the desire to do all these things. It came from him. The blessing of where you were born came from the Lord. It's all his. And so we have to look at everything we have and say, okay, God, if it's all yours, what do you desire for me to do with it? If it's ultimately going to move on to somebody else at some point, God, how do you want me to spend it now? My time and my relationships, my money. God, what do you desire for me to do in this time? Now, I want to be clear with this today because, yes, it is God's everything that you have, but Scripture talks about multiple places that you can own property. And the Old Testament actually tells you how to do a deed and have a title. But the, the, the Scripture doesn't want us to be confused over who ultimately owns it. He tells them, yeah, for structure and for organization, yeah, divide up your property, divide up your things, and, and, and have that organization and structure and know who owns this? But ultimately, ultimately it comes from the Lord. Scripture is extremely clear on that part too. So what are we? What are you? We're stewards. We're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And so knowing that it's all his, the question we have to answer now is, okay, God, What do you want me to do with what you've entrusted me? And I ask you that today. What will you do with what God has entrusted to you? Everything you have is his. How will you steward it? And in this parable that Jesus tells, there's two responses. And I want us to unpack those responses. Because one is one of faithfulness and one is fear. One responds in trust, and the other responds with being afraid. And that's the choice that's before us today. We'll either respond with faithfulness that leads to reward, or we'll respond in fear that leads to regret. We will. And in this passage, you see that there's two men, one that's given five talents and one that's given two that respond in faith and faithfulness to the Lord. And it leads to a reward. And there's a couple things I want to highlight about this even before we dive into to these guys specifically. But if you look at verse 15, it's interesting. As God divides up, or the master in the story, who is a picture of God, divides up these talents, 
It says he gave each according to his ability. And it sounds like that's not fair. Like, why did you give one five and one two and one one? Like, that's not fair. And I'm thankful that our God is not a fair God. Because if he were a fair God, you and I would be in hell right now. Because that's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. But God in his wisdom and omniscience, he doesn't ask us for permission to divide up his gifts. He knows who can handle it and who can't. And so he divides it up. What we are called to do is be good stewards of what he has given us. And these men do not complain. They don't look at it and complain. You know why? Because they know it's all God's anyway. They're not like, hey, God, God, wait a second. No, 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 no. Master, you need to give me more talents. Take away from that guy that has five. Give me more. They don't do that. That's idolatry. But we do that a lot of times, right? We complain, God, I should have what they have. And we start to compare ourselves to other people. And the, social media, and I'm not against social media. I, I'm on it as well, but... What it does is it heaps up this comparison between one another. And they're not comparing each other in this moment. They're not complaining about what he's done. They're not comparing one another. And I know this isn't the main point of the story, but this is something that we need to see in our culture today. That we need to stop complaining and we need to stop comparing ourselves to others and say, God, what have you entrusted to me? What, whether it's one talent or five talents or a hundred talents, God, what have you given to me? And how can I steward it for your glory and your greatness? God, you have given me more than enough. And when we start comparing ourselves to others, it does one of two things. It puffs us up with pride because we're like, huh, I'm the five-talent person. All you other little people with your two talents and your one talents below me, I have so much more gifts from the Lord. And that puffs up pride and arrogance. And we know that's not what Christ has called us to do, though he was humble. Right? Jesus was humble. He was the ultimate example. Came not to be served, but to serve. To give his life a ransom for many. But the other extreme is not pride, but it's condemnation. Where we look around and we're like, man, I know I'm not as good as them. I don't have as many friends as they have. I don't have as big of a house. I don't have as much money. And we just start to condemn ourselves. I, I really guess I, I guess I am a loser. God's word says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And so when you hear those whispers of condemnation, that is not from heaven. It's not. It's from the father of lies. It's not from your heavenly father. And when you puff yourself up with pride of I'm better than all these people because I dress better than them and I have better things than them, that's not from the heavenly father either. God calls us to steward what he has given us and it's all his anyway. So we rely and we trust in him. And we have to be a good steward. We have to be a good steward of what God has given to us because he is coming again. And we will have to settle an account with him. And that's what this story is saying. It says, after a long time in verse 19. We could think about that even now for Christ. Like, it's been a long time, Jesus. Like, when are you coming back? And he is going to come back. And he is going to settle all these accounts. He's going to do that. And this story is highlighting the picture of that. And as he comes back, as he comes again, he goes to each one of these men and he talks with them. And I want us to see how they lived their lives, how they stewarded what he gave them well so that they received a reward 
or they had regrets in their life. And this first one, it's interesting, the five-talent guy, he comes forward first, and I love his response to the master, what he says first in verse 20. He comes forward and he says, Master, you delivered to me five talents. He starts, and the first thing he says is, hey, you gave it all to me, God. Everything was yours, and you gave it to me. And so this is what I'm doing with it. This is amazing. He's already right here at the very beginning showing why he's a good and faithful servant. Because he realizes this is all God's, and I want to steward it well for the glory of the Lord. That's what he does. And it's interesting here, it says he at once, in verse 16, at once he went and he traded it and made this profit. At once. He didn't delay. He was faithful. And delayed obedience is ultimately disobedience. It is. And this man comes to the Lord and he says, you gave me all this. And immediately I went away. I went away and I traded with it and made a profit with it. He does this. And some of us right now, even in this room or watching online, you know something that God has told you to do. To serve someone or to, to reach up the phone and, and call and pray for someone. To give of your finances or your time or to use your talents and your abilities to love and to serve others. God has told some of you in this room and online today to do something specific for him. And you already know it but you're delaying your obedience to him. And this good and faithful servant doesn't delay obedience. He goes and he acts. And God wants us to do the same. Even in this principle right now, we're trying to help our kids in the Evelyn house understand that, that delayed obedience is ultimately disobedience. And so even in the mornings, we'll get up and we'll tell our kids, hey, you finish breakfast, go upstairs and brush your teeth. Brush your teeth, okay? And my wife and I will clean up breakfast, we'll put things away, and, and then we'll go upstairs. So about five minutes has gone by, maybe ten minutes, something like that has gone by, and we'll go up there, and our kids are all doing something different, right? Like one of the, the kids, he'll be getting dressed. He'll be putting all his clothes on. I'm like, that's, that's not a bad thing. Like you were going to get to that, but I told you to brush your teeth first. Well, I, I needed to do this, and I needed to, to clean up my room. All oh, those are great things, but I told you to brush your teeth. Because I know that if you wait and put your clothes on and then brush your teeth, your clothes are going to get toothpaste all over them. I know it's going to happen. You're going to get water all over them. So don't delay. Be obedient. And even though some of the things that we might do are good, we're ultimately delaying what we've been told to do. Just like my kids are doing and God's telling you, hey, be generous. Don't respond in, in, in fear. Rather, respond in faithfulness to the Lord. And as he responds in faithfulness by being obedient immediately and by coming to the master and saying, hey, you gave it all to me. It's all yours. I love what he does in verse 20. He says here, just a simple word, but he gives it back to the master. Now, why that's so important is because we can look at it and say, God, you gave us all this time and ability and talents, so I earned all this. I think you, you can have everything back that you gave me, but this is mine. And we put it in our pocket. We say, nope, you can have all that back, but this is all mine. This is my portfolio. This is my money. This is my time. This is my life. So you can have everything else, 
but no, this is mine. And that's not what we see here. He looks at the master and he says, hey, you gave it to me? All of it. And so I give it back to you. Here's your five talents, and even what I earned, even what I got out of it, all that's yours too, because it's all yours. And he turns around and he gives them all of it. He doesn't hold back, but he says, it's yours, master, all of it. And the response is, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice, notice the master's words are not, well done, fruitful servant. Did you see that? That's not what he says. In both the five talent and the two talent, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. God is calling us to faithfulness. That's what he's calling us to. It's not ultimately that they doubled their amount that God was saying, well done, you doubled everything I gave you. It was stewarding well what God had given them. That's what he was calling them to do in this moment. Be faithful with what God has given to you. Use it wisely for his glory and ultimately for our good. That's what we see here. That's what they do. They use it wisely, and they find a reward. But then you see the one-talent guy. And he's not being judged because he had one talent. God's not like, well, you only had one talent, so you did less than what you should have done. No, his, his condemnation comes for not being faithful with what God had given him. And he allowed fear to drive him to that. Did you all see that? In verse 25, the master comes back and he's having this conversation with the master. He says, hey, I was afraid. And so what I did is I went and I I dug a hole in the ground and I hid your talent. So here, have back what you gave to me. And he's like, no, 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 no. You didn't use faithfully what I gave you. You sat on it and did nothing with it. You weren't faithful with it. It wasn't ultimately about fruitfulness, but faithfulness to the Lord. Did you know what the opposite of faith is? It's not doubt. The opposite of faith is not ultimately doubt. The disciples doubted Jesus a lot. And Jesus didn't say, hey, go on with your doubts, move along, I don't have time for you. No, it was their fear that Jesus was the strongest on them on. He'd say, do you not trust me? Do you not believe in me? Don't fear, don't be afraid. In Matthew chapter 6, all the people were worrying. He's like, why are you afraid? You're not trusting me. The storm comes on the scene, and they're in the boats, and they're all screaming, God, we're going to die. And Jesus steps up, and he's like, why are you so afraid? Are you not trusting in me? But he looks at them in their doubts, and he says, hey, you know what? Bring your doubts. Bring your concerns. You can be one of my disciples with your doubts, but hey, leave your fears behind. Because your doubts will lead you to ask good questions and will move you forward. But your fears will paralyze you and you'll do nothing. You'll do nothing, which is what exactly this man did. He had a false view of who his master was and ultimately who God was. And in his fear, he sat and he did nothing with what God had called him to do. And multiple times in Scripture, God speaks against fear. He speaks against fear. It says, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and self-control. So that fear that's within us that drives us from being generous, that's not from the Lord. He gives power and self-control. In in 1 John, it says that perfect love casts out all fear. We saw that perfect love on the cross where Jesus died in our place. 
We see that and we're like, that love for us, that perfect love of Jesus should cast out all of our fear where we trust in him. God, are you going to provide for me if I give up this time? If I give up my, my abilities, if I give up my finances, are you going to provide? Yes. Look at his perfect love and allow it to cast out all of your fear. This is not a biblical truth that we would be fearful people. As Christians, we are faithful people. And we trust in the Lord. And listen right now. There are some of you that God has blessed you. And you've taken that talent in your fear. You've taken that talent and you've buried it. And it's time to get that shovel and dig it up and use that talent for the glory of the Lord. We cannot change how our story started, but we can change how our story ends. And so we have a choice. We can respond in faithfulness or fear. And so here's some of the fears that I, I found in my heart and I've, I found as we've talked with one another, but sometimes we don't respond to God in faithfulness because we're afraid to fail. I'm like, God, I'm so afraid to fail. What if I step out in faith and try to do this for your glory and I fail? We need to realize that if we take a step of faith for the Lord and we feel like he's leading it, then it's not failure. The world might look at you and say, oh, that was failure. But not in the eyes of God because he's looking for faithfulness. And when you turn the pages of the Old Testament, there are numbers of people who the world would look at and be like, you're a failure. Noah built this ark and told people, hey, judgment is coming. Believe and join us. Find salvation. And nobody outside of his family believed. They didn't. Now, we wouldn't look at Noah and be like, what a failure. Noah's good for nothing. No, he was faithful. And in the eyes of God, he received the reward. There's many prophets who preached and People never repented. They never turned from their sins. They never trusted in a Savior and found hope. But that didn't mean they were failures. They were faithful. So sometimes we look and we take steps of faith and we're like, ah, oh, that didn't work out the way I hoped it would. Man, that was a failure. No, not in the eyes of God. He'd say, he would say, you're faithful. Here's your reward. Others of us, others of us don't step out in, in faith because we're just afraid we don't have much to offer. Like we read that story and you're like, man, I'm clearly that one talent person. I'm either too young to do anything or I'm too old so it doesn't really matter what I do. And both of those are lies. God's word would look at the young and say, no, 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 no. you're not too young to live for the glory of God. And God would look with those with experience and say, you have wisdom pour out your wisdom and your humility on those that need it and serve the Lord to the glory of his name. Some of us think, I just have such little, it would not have any impact. And God's like, nope. What you're doing in that is you're burying your talents and you're not using them for the glory of God. It doesn't matter how little it is, use it for the glory of God. That's what God is looking for, is faithfulness. Uh, this last week, it was funny, um, my son, we've been talking about generosity even at home. It's my son who's six, just turned six, comes with one of those offerings on, in the back of the chairs for the church, and he wants to give to the church. And so he comes downstairs, and it's, it's, a, it's basically a bag at this point. The envelope's turned into a bag, and it's all his coins. He has all these, I'm sorry, all these dollar bills are, are shoved in here, all these different dollar bills. And, uh, and I said, that's great, son. Like, I'm glad you did that. And he's like, yeah, I just want to give it to the church. And then he stood there in front of me. He's like, hold on a second. 
And he runs back upstairs and he comes back down. And now it looks like a bag. Now it's filled with coins. And he's like, Dad, I had more coins. So I took the dollar bills out and I put all the coins in there because I wanted to give more. And I'm like, man, I think God is honored by that, son. You wanted to give more. And so you decided, hey, I have more coins. I'm going to give more coins, not knowing that dollar bills are actually worth more than coins. That's all right. The heart behind it was good. He said, I have a little. I want to give more. And so I'm going I'm to give more coins. And I look at that. I'm like, man, that's so good because that's basically what Jesus calls out with the lady who gives two mites at the temple. Jesus says, hey, she gave more than anybody else here. And you're like, wait, no, no, no. There's people that have given like wads of cash in there. Jesus, how did she give more? She gave two pennies. It's because she was faithful with what God had given her. She was being a good steward of what God had given to her. And that's what God is calling us to do. So if you're sitting here in your fear saying, I don't have much to offer, God has given you something to use and steward and be generous with for his glory. So do it. And another thing within us would say, man, we just have a fear of losing anything. I'm afraid if I'm generous, I'll lose my time. I'll lose my hobbies that I want to do. I'll, I'll lose money in my bank account if I give generously or I serve generously. And I'll be honest with you, that is true. But you need to erase that fear with the truth that it's all God's anyway. It's all his. And so when you hold on to it, it's not yours anyway. How would God want you to steward it for his glory? When the master looks at this man who's in his fear, he responds and he says, you wicked and slothful servant. You wicked and slothful servant. And what's interesting to me about this is it's not what he did with his money that was wrong. Ultimately, he didn't go out and, and, and waste it in, in, in terrible ways. He didn't spend it in, in wicked circles. He went and buried it in the ground, right? And then he brings it back to the master. You think the master like, oh, good, you didn't do anything. You were neutral. No, it was a sin of omission. He did nothing with what God gave him. And he calls him out on that. Some of the, the, the greatest sins that you and I will ever commit is not something that we did, but it's something that we did not do. Our sins of omission make us just as guilty as our sins of commission. It does. And we see that in that next parable where it talks about the sheep and the goats. With the sheep and the goats, he starts to, to divide them out. And he says, hey, you worked in your salvation and you did these things. And then others are like, wait, we were Christians? We were saved? And he says, no, 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 no. You never knew me because you did nothing with what I gave you. You did nothing. Look in the same chapter in Matthew 25. Look at verse 41. I just want to read these few verses. Like This is a picture of the end of time. And some people will say this. Jesus said to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Don't miss that. It wasn't prepared for you. It wasn't prepared for me. Ultimately, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But we choose to follow our selfishness and follow the evil one instead of him. And this is where it leads. In verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or in prison? I did not minister to you. Then he will answer saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do 
to the least of these, you did not do it unto me. It wasn't their sins of action that led them to hell. It was their lack of action. It was them doing nothing with what God had blessed them with. And I feel like in the American church, a lot of evangelicals fall into this camp. Well, I'm not working against what God is doing, but I'm just not doing, I'm not doing my part. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm kind of neutral. But God's word says, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. So you try to ride the fence, that's not where I want you to be. And he looks at us in this moment, he's like, you think you're doing nothing? No, you're actually doing harm. He says, you're a wicked and slothful servant. And this cuts deep, I get it. It it cuts deep. There's a chance for us to respond to this in repentance and act on what God has called us to, to be generous people. To look at this and say, God, we want to be a part where you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. We, do need, we need to get that shovel out and dig up those talents and say, God, I want, to, I want to spend this for you. I want to use this for you. Forgive me of these past, but Lord, help me to use the future for your glory and your name. And he'll honor that. He'll honor that faithfulness. And at the same time, I just want to affirm those within our body that are doing that. There are many people in our church that are serving faithfully and being obedient to be good stewards of what God has blessed them with. And this morning, I want you to see a couple of these families. Many of you know them, but I want you to see them. And one is the Whittington family. You guys come on up here real quick. The Whittingtons, we, we prayed and commissioned them um, last year. But then COVID hit, and uh, they got slowed down for a little bit. And so they've been staying here with us until COVID had kind of da- died down a little bit. And they're about to go on the foreign mission field and they heard the call from God to be good stewards in the sense that no, like, we want to be obedient. We don't want to delay our obedience. We want to be obedient. And so they literally went to the extreme of selling all that they have to go on the mission field. And when I mean all that they have, like legitimately their house, their vehicles, I mean their whole life of what they own is in suitcases right now, just a few suitcases. And they're just being faithful with what God has, has called them to do. And we're grateful for that obedience of being faithful stewards with what God has given you guys. We're going to pray for y'all this morning and y'all's faithfulness, but at the same time, we have deacons who have served through this pandemic in amazing ways and been good stewards with what God has given them. So if you're a deacon, deacon and their wives, would you guys go ahead and come down front? And we have uh, one new deacon that's coming on this year, Philip, and his wife Kim is coming up here. And whether y'all realize this or not, if you rewind time, it was a year ago last week that we installed uh, deacons here at the church. We didn't have deacons at that time. And so we had deacons come and it could not have been better timing because a year ago is when the pandemic shut everything down. And so they came and they have served so well with the talents that God has given them. Uh, Just uh, a week or two ago, I guess a few weeks ago now, was out and was spending some time with different people within the church and there was one family that's a high-risk family, that they said, I have not been to the grocery store in over a year now because these deacons have gone to the grocery store um, week after week to provide groceries for this high-risk family that's a part of our our congregation. Um, These deacons have served faithfully um, for those that have gone through loss and pain and suffering through the pandemic, and I am extremely grateful. And I have their wives up here too because they have served and sacrificed right alongside them, whether that's through time or even them going to serve 
alongside them as well to care for people in our church. And they've been good stewards of what God has placed in their, their care. And so we're grateful for them. I am so thankful that we were able to install our deacons last year before COVID hit. We're grateful for that. And then this year we have one new deacon, Philip, who's going to follow suit. And, uh, and Kim, we're grateful for you guys and how y'all are joining this team. Uh, Philip, we're grateful and we know that you've served here and will continue to serve uh, the, the body. But I have a couple questions for you, Philip. I know you've been ordained before as a, as a deacon, but specifically to our church, just a couple questions that I'd love for you to respond to in front of our church family and those online. They'd see and know where your heart is. The first is this. Do you believe that you've been called by God to this church to serve as a deacon? Do you now promise in this presence to commit yourself to be a trustworthy and responsible deacon to love and to serve this body as a church? Will you endeavor to contribute to the spiritual health and harmony of our body by being submissive to the leadership as well as humbly serving the people of this church? Will you faithfully pray for this church and uphold the authority of God's word and his unity in this church? Will you in all things seek not your own glory, but the glory of Jesus Christ from the neighborhoods to the nations? Awesome. Church family, let's, let's pray for our new deacon as well as our current deacons and those that are going out on the mission field. Thank you all for being faithful to what God has given you and entrusted in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We know that even the gift of obedience ultimately comes from you. And so thank you for stirring our hearts. God, thank you for uh, these deacons that served over this last year in ways that, Lord, we as a congregation may never know or may never see. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, for the ways that we have seen it, we're grateful. For the ways that we have not seen it, we know that you do, and you reward those who are faithful to what you have called them to do. At the same time, I pray for, for Philip, that as he comes and he serves and he leads as a deacon, God, that you would bless him, grow his heart of service. I pray that you protect his family. May he love and serve his bride well. Make him support and care for him well also through this. God, we're grateful for these faithful men stepping up to love and serve you. And we're thankful for these faithful women who are using the talents that you have given them to serve you to the glory of your name. And Lord, we pray for the Whittingtons. Though it's their last Sunday here with us, Lord, our prayers will go with them. And we know that you are stirring in their hearts and are leading them to be faithful. And so God, we know that you will bless the work of their hands. And so, Lord, I pray for protection over them as well. That as they go, that they would see the fruit of their labor. We do pray for fruit. You don't have to promise that, but we do pray for that, for them. That they would see the lost saved. And the saved grow up in their faith to plant more churches and to see more people come to know you and to trust in you. God, we love you. And we're grateful for you. Keep us faithful, we pray.